I was mentally ill before I got saved. And then I got saved in Brother Odd's church. That was pretty much beyond hope. I was there when the birdie tongues fell. Birdie, birdie, birdie. It was morning prayer. We prayed, we prayed six days a week at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he was walking around going, birdie, birdie. And I got him behind him, and I went, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie. Ernie. <laughs> and the rest is church history. Uh, we did, we uh, did have the, the, the tremendous blessing and the benefit of coming up in a church. Two guys could probably be, not be more different than Brother Rod and I were. I remember the first time I sat in there, I thought, this Peckerwood redneck preacher, I'm going to go set him straight. Because I know God's called me here, but he ain't getting nothing from me. I ain't giving him. I walked up in line, and I went, I put my finger out, and I collapsed on his shoulder, and I wept like a baby. And all the charismatics started cheering, and then I thought, man, I've lost my mind. I'm having a nervous breakdown. These people are Jericho running. And... But I had the tremendous blessing of growing up, one with a, a pastor who taught me to wait on the Lord, and also in a house that, was, that fully embraced the Great Commission. Um, and, and we have such an opportunity right now. Let me stick to my notes because I could just gush and I've only got seven minutes. Let's make this statement. The Great Commission is not tied to the size of your church. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's, 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 it's the last direct command given by Christ before he de uh, departed the planet. We're not to ask money or logistics if we need to obey the Great Commission. Amen. We don't, you know, you open your wallet, your wallet will always tell you that you don't have enough. Uh, here's the problem. God is under no obligation scripturally, relationally to support our vision. It's, we, got, we got it backwards. We're there to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what it is he wants to do. And then the, the provision is potentially unlimited. One of the greatest benefits of we have as a network, and I don't, if you haven't experienced other variations on this theme, you don't realize how precious the NRP is to have something like this, to have people who will speak into your life at the same time, give you the auto autonomy to obey God in your own local church. But one of the most incredible benefits of memberships in NRP is the networking of resources and experience. There's hundreds of years of experience in missions and pastoring and counseling and marriage in this room. One of the most, uh, in the, uh, uh, the, the, those relationships are the greatest asset. And one of, if not the most significant opportunity provided by these race relationships is the ability for every church to be involved in the Great Commission. You're not limited by finances. You're not limited by experience. All you're limited is by your heart for the nations. That's it. And by the way, if you don't have a heart for the nations, my wife, she's the smoke show in the fifth row back there. Raise your hand. Honey. <laughs> poor, my poor wife got saved after me, and I gave her the book Brutchko to read and said, we're going to be missionaries. That's, this guy goes, gets kicked by a mule, gets shot by an arrow, gets dysentery. A foot-long tapeworm crawls out of his mouth. It's a horrible story. I, my wife was traumatized. I'm like, we're going to be missionaries. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but she loved the Lord. And so when the time came, she said, God, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. If you don't have a heart for the nations, I can tell you this, it's because you haven't asked for it. And I can understand now that I'm herding cats, that's what I call pastoring in America. Now, I can understand how if you're not careful, you can be so overwhelmed. I'm sure when Paul said, my work is done, I'm going to the next city, all the pastors are going, are you kidding? You know, you saw the marriage over here and this one's, uh, but the apostolic is part of what's necessary to make a disciple. Jesus commanded us to make disciples. So when are you a disciple? When you start to make other disciples. And disciples are people who are obeying God. You know, his last words weren't, uh, hey, you know, beef's half price at Aldi's. He made a serious statement. Hey, I want you to go to all, the, and these signs will follow. If there's no signs in your church, or is it possible that they can't follow you where you're not going? 
And as the lead pastor, I'm just going to tell you, you cannot oversee what you overlook. Okay? And here's my final point. I think I have a minute 54. I've never finished on time. This will be great. It's been my experience that God delegates authority and resources directly correlated with obedience and responsibility. I said, it's been my experience that God delegates authority and resources directly correlated with obedience and responsibility. When we see the Great Commission as actually being a commission for which we have a very real responsibility, listen, we unlock a vast uh, access to resources to see that mission completed. It's not a question of whether or not we can afford to be involved in the Great Commission. It's a question of how can you not afford to open up the windows of heaven over your church by taking your responsibility for the Great Commission. Dick and Susie Bash did disciple me when I was a young believer. They, they were associate pastors, then later became missions pastors. There's a wealth of if you, if, you, if you just stand by them for five minutes, you'll get called to somewhere unpleasant, okay? But I'm telling you, these schools are amazing. The materials are amazing. Take a look at, uh, this is Susie's book. It's the translated Roar book where we, that we're using in Central America. Eric was on one of the teams going back there in July. It's, huh? Term one. Yeah, this is term one book. They're fully translated. Everywhere we're going, they're fully translated. You don't have to be a cultural expert. You just have to love Jesus and care and want to obey God. We'll get you there. We'll put the materials in your hand. We'll get you in front of hungry, hungry hearts who want to hear what you have to say and who think you're probably the Apostle Paul because you came there. Please don't tell them different because I really like that part. All right. But I just encourage you, seize this opportunity You'll be amazed at what you release in your church when you take care of this opportunity. Amen? Amen. Appreciate you. God bless Great you Great job, Doug. Great job. Thank you. All right, our next speaker is Pastor Joe Kelly. Why don't you come on up here? Joe is from... Thanks for your notes, Joe. All right. We're going to watch a video? Yeah. Amen. Okay. I think what we'll do is the video. Here, let's move over here. So we'll for over 40 years and have six grown children and 10 grandchildren. Pastor Joe has been in church planting and leadership development around our globe for the past 40 years and has ministered the gospel on five different continents and in 32 countries. His prophetic wisdom has had an impact on churches and leaders worldwide. In addition to his ministry work, Pastor Joe has built some of the finest architecturally designed custom homes many of which have been showcased in books and magazines. In the year 2000, Pastor Joe had a dream, which resulted in the creation of Building Grand India. In the dream, Pastor Joe saw a building that was surrounded by a white wall with a hole in it. Through the hole, he could see three children, and behind them was a group of large eyes looking at him, and he heard a voice that said, Come help us. The following day, he shared the dream in a church, that he had helped plant in Connecticut when an Indian woman who was visiting the congregation came forward to proclaim that he did not have a dream, but he had a vision of a real children's home that her father had established in southern India years prior. Through a series of miraculous events over the following week, an opportunity arose for him to go to India in pursuit of the mission to help the children he saw in the dream. Since its founding, Building for Him India has been established as a nationally recognized and registered Christian ministry in India. Building for Him India has been able to expand the children's home, constructed a church building, a dental clinic, and in 2022, opened a 50-bed outpatient hospital providing much-needed medical care to the local community. Pastor Joe continues the Building for Him ministries in India, Pakistan, Kenya, Gambia, Venezuela, and more. In Venezuela, it's getting increasingly more difficult to find clean drinking water. The government is now only supplying water every 60 days on Margarita Island. And because of this, the water lines have become contaminated and cause illness such as hepatitis A. In other regions where they have consistent supplies of water, it is dark brown and not suitable for consumption. To overcome this problem, Building for Him has partnered with local pastors that they have been working with for over 25 years to form a project called Speak. Amita to provide clean drinking water for the community. When 
Pastor Keith Tusi first heard this, he knew he wanted NRP pastors to be part of this great project. The first Agua Vida plant was completed inside of a church in Cabimas within three weeks of receiving its funding. It was open to the public and people were lined up with their bottles excited to have fresh water. As a result of meeting this need in the community, the gospel is being spread and the church is growing. The current budget to build one of these plants is around $8,000. While we are down here at the conference, we are looking to partner with five churches to help us build the next five Agua de Vida projects. Please see Pastor Joe Kelly or his son, Bo Kelly, if your church would like to partner with us and make a generational impact on this region of the world. Thank you for your time. We look forward to getting to know you all better throughout the week. Have a great conference. Amen. I wanted, I asked Joe to give us a video because what they're doing, and I've known Joe for 30 years, I've been overseas with them, and what they're doing really is incredible. And I wanted you to just get a little snapshot. There's just so many opportunities. And we have one of the guys from Venezuela here with us. I just wanted Pastor Joe to, to say hello and introduce him real yeah, quick. Amen. amen. Yeah. Real quickly. Um, 25 years ago, I was ministering in Venezuela, and I was uh, uh, at a, a conference, a big conference, and somebody came, this guy that was sort of demon-possessed, and he tried to bite me on the neck, you know, and it really happened, no, it really happened, and I got very sick. I was in a, I had an extremely high fever, 105, I was hallucinating, and so forth, and we were supposed to go to this other part of the city and minister, and I couldn't go. And uh, this young man said, I'm going to stay with Pastor Joe. He was 15 years old. He said, I'm going to stay with him. And he stayed with me all day. And he put cold compresses on my head and prayed for me and just laid his hands on me all day. When uh, my good friend Carlos Centrone came back, he saw what the condition I was in. And he was rebuked this thing that was on me. And it broke. And I, got, I, I opened my eyes. And I saw, uh, come up here. I thought, what are you doing? Come here. <laughs> Turn around. He's like, raptured. No. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I opened my eyes. And I looked at this young man. He was 15 years old. And I said to him, I, I, I said, I'm prophesying something to you right now. You're going to be a pastor. God's going to use you to, do, to build generationally. You're, you're, going to, and you're going to pastor a church in a place called Margarita Island. I had never been to Margarita Island, nor had he. And he was a native Venezuelan. Ten years later, I was in Veracruz, Mexico, doing a conference. And guess who was, it? Who was the speaker? Or interpreter. Interpreter for me was my, was my dear friend. And guess what he was doing? He was pastoring a church in, in, in Margarita Island in Venezuela. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's so much more for that story that could be told. But uh, today, you know, I told him, I said, look, there's a time for sowing. He sowed into my life. Sowing and reaping are sometimes there's a long distance between those seasons that you were talking about that this morning. And, you know, he, he was sowing into my life at that point. Now, because of the condition of what's happened in Venezuela, now we've had this opportunity now to turn around and be sowing back into his life and his ministry. And this is a true man of God. God's using him in an incredible way there. And I just want to introduce him. He's the one who's overseen the project Ponda Vida, Agua de Vida, Anagata de Vida. No, um, <laughs> that's, if, you're, if you're our age, you understand that. Maybe the next generation doesn't understand that. But anyway, he's here. And I just want to introduce him to you. He's a wonderful son of mine in the Lord. Amen. I didn't see this coming. Sorry. Um, forgive me, okay? And, and on tears, uh, we have this relationship from, from 25 years and more uh, ago, and I couldn't be happier and, and honored to be here with all of you and with my wife, Daniela. And we took four planes from yesterday to, to be here <laughs> this morning from, Caribbean, from the Caribbean of Venezuela. We go from Margarita to Caracas and Dominican Republic and later Miami and, and Orlando. And we're here to say thank you. 
We are to say thank you. I, I never thought that taking care of, of, of your old 25 years ago turns out in, in so many places for many. Because, you know, God has a plan and always is a better plan that we have. Always is a better plan. And I understand many, many years ago that the truth of God that took you out from Egypt is not the same truth that put you in the, in the promised land. And in this process, in this transition, uh, we have this amazing relationship for, for many, many years. And we, we are so happy because in this, uh, in this time, I, I remember two years ago when Pastor Joe called me and said, look at you, can you come to US? I say, we have no even domestic flights. It's, everything is in quarantine and we have no money to go. And, and, and say, look, my wife I was praying for you and for, for your wife. And we're going to send you an offering uh, tomorrow. And uh, he say, I'm going to send you $200. And I say, wow, it, it makes a lot of difference right here in Venezuela when the monthly payment of everybody is 4 or $5. Is, is that what we receive every month? I'm not speaking about hour. I'm speaking about month. So uh, the next day, Joe didn't send 200 He said He sent 300 and, and it was, I shared that this uh, money with the people. And he said, why did you do that? And I said, wait, because we are here in the same boat. We're doing this, and we need to share. And it started to, to, to make a huge difference with everything that, re that we received. So he later said, look, God told me that once you take care of me, and right now God is telling me that I should take care of you and yours. And two, two years from here, or, or from that moment to, to now, the difference in the church, in the community, we are feeding 50 families, and we are doing this project of Pan de Vida and also Agua de Vida. By the way, I want to really want to say thank you again to Pastor Tushi because I know that the first Agua de Vida project in Venezuela was uh, funded by money of the NRP pastors. Uh, did I say it right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and and. And we are, we have just, uh, we are beyond words. Uh, we want to express our gratitude and our love. And we are want to say thank you because of the trust. We are trying to do a very good uh, stewards of the resource that God sent to us in this moment. And never, never uh, think that uh, one dollar can be uh, a difference. It could be a very huge difference in this third world where we, believe, we, we, we live. And it doesn't matter about our situations. Uh, sometimes we have no internet, electricity, food, or, or car, or gasoline, or water, like uh, just a show in the video. But we are still believing God. And God is doing a huge difference in, 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 our, in our life. And we want to say thank you again. Amen. Thank you. Amen. God Let's bless give you. Give a big hand. Amen. Thank Amen. you for being here. Thank Amen. you so much. Thank you. Amen. So. If God touched your heart to help, we wrote the first check. When Joe, see, again, this is credibility. I know his mission and what he's done. And when he told me he could do this for that amount of money, I said, tell him to start building. We're sending the money. And, and they had that thing up and pumping water in three weeks. Hallelujah. So if the Lord touches your heart to, to get involved, you know, maybe even, maybe you can't do the whole thing, but maybe you could do half. We'll get to find somebody else to just keep partnering. And then when Joe makes a trip, then you can go with, you know what I mean? They're, I'm just telling you that Doug, what Doug said needs to ring in our ears. Amen? Amen. Pastor Mike. The next speaker is a great example of generational leadership. We met his dad and mom, Dan, and now Keith is pastoring the church. Why don't you welcome Keith Pavlensky? I'm going to talk real quickly about um, creating sanctuaries for unborn children across our country and changing this world in doing so. Uh, I want to begin just by saying thank you to NRP uh, for your friendship, your relationships. We would have never gotten involved with this, uh, with this program had it not been for our connections and our relationships here, and we're changing the United States of America. So I'm going to start with a, uh, a quote from uh, Martin Luther. He said, if you preach the gospel in all aspects, with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, you're not preaching the gospel at all. 
Now, as pastors, there are scores of moral issues for us to, uh, to weigh in on, to preach about, uh, that are unique to our time. There's tax policy, uh, deficit spending, gay marriage, transgenders and sports, uh, the right to assemble, vaccine mandates. We've touched on some of them even at this conference. Uh, but only one of those has the distinction of being the number one moral issue of our day, and that's the inalienable right to life that exists. And we all know the numbers. Again, you know, 65 million have died in the United States approximately since 1973. Uh, we compare that with the, uh, the, the genocide that was going on in Europe in, uh, in, Europe in the 1940s. We compare that with, uh, with slavery that was going on in the United States here in the uh, 1840s, 1850s. We can't, as churches, be quiet on these issues. It, we have to speak out, and, and you know, being the number one moral issue, this is, this is one that, uh, that, uh, that we have to speak up on. Now, fortunately, the great news is that NRP has this rich, vibrant uh, history of taking the lead in the national battle and the national fight against shedding innocent blood in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in the United States of America. And so I come to these conferences and I just get charged up getting to meet with, uh, with people who were there, who've been fighting the good fight for decades, who've been doing the great work and, and we've seen good things. Well, we've got another strategy now. There's an old saying that says that if you hang around with brave men, you'll do brave things. And if you hang around with cowards, you'll only become cowardly. And so I've been blessed. Uh, our church has been blessed. Uh, we're thankful that we get to hang around with this great group of people. NRP, we are so uh, uh, in awe of this, uh, of everybody that's in this room here. You become our friends and our allies and our heroes all at the same time. So um, we've employed a strategy in North Carolina to begin planting these sanctuary cities and I hope it's something that you guys will consider. It's something that I think the church needs to take a lead on. So the question is, how can an individual local church make a meaningful difference in this 49-year-old battle in the United States? And, uh, and I find that answer to be pretty quickly. The, uh, the Sanctuary City Project is one that, uh, that has, uh, has borne fruit down in North Carolina. We're excited about it. We're the first ones to pass a, uh, to create a, a complete sanctuary county for unborn children. Amen. And since that time, we've, we have repeated that four times over. And we intend to repeat it over and over and over. Hold on, you're, you're eating into my time here, so. We've landed more territory, more sanctuary in the United States of America than there are miles in the state of Delaware, and that's just the beginning for us. So I'm inviting you all to take this journey with us. Here are some reasons that I want you to consider it for your church. Again, you have limited time, resources, what have you. Uh, number one, this is healthy for local churches to take this lead because we are mandated in the scriptures to be the moral voice for our communities. That's exactly what we do. Uh, there have been great parachurch ministries who've been out there, you know, waving the banner and, and, and carrying the water. There have been some uh, politicians at time, but the work is given in scripture directly to the church. This is our job, so this is something that we should do. So uh, that's number one. Number two, this strategy is healthy because it's really easy. If you've got that next uh, slide up that has the counties uh, laid over top of it, that would be great. We do this strategy because it's easy, not because it's hard. Uh, you show up, you just carry the, uh, the resolutions that, uh, that, that we've already printed, and anywhere that you see red on that map is nearly a slam dunk to be able to create a sanctuary county. So take a look on there, see if you're anywhere close to one. If you're interested in jumping in board on a, on a statewide fight, now is the time. Um, and number, you know, number two also is, is that We've won four victories, overwhelming, you know, convincing, unanimous decisions in the counties that we've been in. And um, when you win, it attracts people. People like to win. And so each time we win one of these things, we celebrate and it attracts more people. Number three, uh, the reason you might want to jump in is that this is a way to lift the curse on the territory, on the ground that, uh, that we have over your community. Uh, there's been blood that's been shed in, you know, in, in, in our name. So uh, we've seen businesses in our county and in our church overwhelmingly blessed in, uh, in the time since we've passed these things. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say the millions of dollars in sales that have been increased as a result of doing this. Uh, and those funds then make their way back into the gospel again so it grows on itself. Number four, this is a timely strategy. For those of you paying attention in the news right now, we've had uh, the Supreme Court's already ruled 
on this, uh, this latest hearing. We'll find out what they had in, you know, when it comes around May, June timeframe. We'll hear what they have to say. <clears throat> and so this is something that we need to jump on. Regardless of what their decision is, the fight is going to be at the state level. In fact, there is no federal law that permits abortion right now. Every single abortion that's being committed is being happened because there are state laws. And so we have to get involved at the state level in order to begin passing these laws. And that's exactly what this does. The personhood um, uh, strategy is, is one that, uh, that affects a state level. And um, you know why personhood over some of the other things that are out there? Well, this is an uncompromised biblical position that all human life is valuable. And it's all created in the image of God, and there are no exceptions. In 1973, one of the justices famously said that if, uh, if this suggestion of personhood was established by a state, then Roe's case would collapse, for the fetus's right to life would be guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. So I'm here today just to invite you. Again, I'm having a great time winning these battles in North Carolina, but I want a much bigger footprint than the state of Delaware. Uh, I've got some information in the back. Go by and pick one up. And if you have any questions at all, give me a yell. And, uh, in 30 seconds, tell them what a sanctuary city is. You didn't, you didn't I, I, didn't, I didn't have time to tell you what a sanctuary <laughs> In a sanctuary, you can't kill unborn children. In our state, we've told them, it says, you might want to try to kill them in Raleigh or, or, or Charlotte or some of the, one of these other big cities. You can't kill them in our, in our county. We're, setting, we're putting a stake in the ground. We're putting a, planting a flag, if you will, and saying, you can't do it here. And so each church now has that opportunity to plant a stake in the ground, and you become a part of your community saying, I'm taking responsibility not just for my church building, but my territory. Oh, absolutely. Great job, Pastor Keith. Hey, I want to introduce uh, Pastor uh, Matt Brigitte and his wife. Why don't you come on up here? They're, they're serving under, uh, well, uh, yeah, they're serving under Pastor Mervyn Struthers. Let's give Pastor Matt a hand. Amen, amen. Man, how many are getting filled up? I love this stuff. Um, this morning, I have the opportunity, uh, Brother Lee and Miss Adrian Gill, you want to come on up? How many want to hear from some boots on the ground, amen? Some youth pastors that are doing the work. Um, Lee and Adrian Gill, they've been youth pastors now uh, for four and a half years, right, at Light, Lighthouse of Hope Church in Popperville, Mississippi. Married 17 years, 18 years, uh, two kids, and uh, Lee is pursuing his bachelor's at um, TKU and um, biblical counseling. So this morning... Uh, just an opportunity, like I said, to hear from boots on the ground. You know, you have a seat at the table. I was thinking about that, Chris. We have a seat at the table this morning. Um, so just some questions. Uh, we have the intensive coming up. Abby and I have had an opportunity to be involved in, in the intensive, to even speak at the intensive. They've gone, uh, the youth pastor intensive. We have four leaders. I want to thank all the pastors. Man, uh, it was a month we were at... Um, at Cornerstone, and we were running through the airport a month later to get here, and our pastors were investing in us to be here. And I just want to thank Pastor David and, and, and his wife for seeing the value and for investing. Amen? So we're just going to uh, ask a couple questions um, briefly here uh, to, to Lee and Adrian, his better half. I see a common thread We've all married up, us guys. Thank God, thank God for the anointing. I guess that's what it is. Um, not being full-time youth pastors, you both work bivocationally, right? Um, what, how do you see benefit in going, you know, taking, taking the time off and going to the, what's the benefit? Well, first of all, you have to understand that it's Jesus' ministry. He's just asked us to guide it, right? And are you going to invest in that? NRP, relationship. That's the biggest thing out of these intensives is you get to know the other people that are on the ground and fighting the good fight. And then you get to glean off of them. I mean, when I first met Chris, he was, you know, 10 years in, I think, and you can't get that experience without getting that experience. 
right? So, but when you, when you get to spend time with him or, or people like Matt, um, Jason, who's not with us you know, right now, you, you build those relationships. And then when you're in the grind and feeling, I don't know what to do, you can reach out and say, I don't know what to do here. And they're going to pick up the phone. So it's all relational, but you have to be intentional. You have to want to invest in what God's called you to do. For me, um, I'm just going to be real. I really didn't want to join NRP at first because I knew it was going to put me in uncomfortable positions like this, speaking in front of people. I'm just being honest. Amen. <laughs> and, but I also know that God's using this to grow me. And it's just, it is uncomfortable, but I want to grow so I can be there for somebody else that needs me. Amen. That's good stuff. Um, how has it impacted uh, your relationship with your pastor? Well, that one's uh, fairly easy. We were not a part of NRP officially, right, when we first started. Our first uh, real engagement with NRP was at 2018 in the tent. <laughs> we're in the tent. There's cables everywhere, and there's a river. <laughs> Just... So, um, but (laughs) literally, um, but in that, when we get back, you know, and there's, there's, I don't know, Chris can probably tell you how many churches were at that event. The first thing pastor asked when we got back is, well, were you apart or did you get lost in the shuffle? And it was so much, no, you're apart. This is a family, even though we weren't official you know, we were apart, and that was a step in the direction of, I believe, our, our church really embracing you guys and y'all embracing us, and we love being a part of this group. So, For me, it was, um, it really helped us build trust with our pastor. I mean, we've known David for a while and Gala, but he's probably the most real person I know, and I so appreciate that about him. And it just, for him to send us out, he knows we're not just going. We're, we're really grabbing a hold of everything that we're learning because, I mean, I, I honestly didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know anything. And then we come to um, our first youth camp in 2018 under the tent that Chris was talking about. And um, it just means a lot to me that Pastor David really trusts us, and it just really grew a, a trust between us. Amen. How has it impacted your ministry? It really just, it's from a more practical standpoint of just giving you confidence. You know, when you, when you can hang out with people that's been in it, you know, for a long time, you know, Pastor Rick right here on the front row spoke at that conference, you know, still remember, you know, it's like, I don't think we've really got to hang out since, but I remember Pastor Rick. So it just, when you can draw off everyone else that's been in the trenches and really fighting the good fight, as I said earlier, you just, you grow if you will just take it in, you know, and then what can I take from that and apply to what God has me doing? There's a session that we do at the um, youth intensive called scenarios, and it's so helpful because I was telling Lee after we left the first time that I didn't have like we haven't really been through a lot of those situations. Well, just recently we started going through some of those situations and to have that information is just so helpful. Amen. We'll go one real quick. Isn't this good? Um, how has it changed your lives from a practical standpoint? I think practicality comes back to just confidence, but um, with everything we have going on, you you have to be structured. Um, as he said, I'm in school. We're both full-time jobs. We got two kids trying to do ministry as well. I say trying. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but you, you have to be structured, intentional with everything you do. And with that, I would say if you're in youth ministry and you 
aren't intentional and make an effort to get to this event, you're missing it. And for senior pastors, if you're not pushing your youth minister to go to these events, you're missing it. And then from a personal level, I'm probably still in Adrian's thunder here, but from a personal level, if you go to these events, you're going with your spouse. You get to spend time with your spouse. You know, when you're at home, you're, you're raising kids and the hustle and bustle of everything. But when you go, you're getting away. You're getting to spend time with God, hang out with other pastors, but also spend time with, with your spouse. That is what I was going to say. <laughs> um, for, yes, it, it definitely brings us closer together. And it, I know if I talk to any pastor in here, they'll say that your marriage is before your ministry. And just having that time together just means a lot. Amen. Amen. All right, let's give him a hand. Great job, you guys. All right, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we're going to talk about um, stewardship and some of those things that are really near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, I am looking for Pastor Keith Hodges. There he is. You know, um, come on up here, Pastor Keith. Just, you know, for um, a lot of years, he, I saw him in the wings, and then he steps forward, and then he made a demand on Pastor Rod. He said, I want you to be my spiritual father. And, uh, and then as he got around the network, got to know him better, we got to room together, we got to speak together at conferences, and uh, him and his wife are just the real deal. They're blowing it up in Arab. I say it right, Arab, Alabama, and uh, I really esteem this guy. So he's going to facilitate this next section. So why don't you, well, I've introduced you now, so why don't you just go ahead and give Pastor Keith a hand. Amen. Isn't it great to be a part of NRP? What an awesome network and really a tribe. So uh, I'm going to ask these two awesome guys, Dr. Ron Johnson and Pastor Rick Paladin, to come up and let you guys take the seat right here. Going to put you on the hot seat today. And uh, you guys, we got to, uh, if you haven't already met them, right, you got introduced to Dr. Ron last night and hosting the presence of God. Uh, pastoring right now, one of NRP's fastest growing churches uh, and really just seeing some amazing things that are happening. And then, of course, Pastor Rick Paladin, Paladin, I'm sorry, I can't even say your name right now. So uh, <laughs> Pastor Rick is in Pittsburgh at Bridge City Church, five campuses, four campuses, and doing an amazing work in the kingdom. And according to his wife, Natalie, he is the best-looking pastor in the network. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. <laughs> so two of my favorite guys, and you guys, I know that to be true of you. So what we want to talk about is really a capital campaign. We want to talk about how do we begin to think bigger about our facilities, our buildings. How do we make room, right? Because we're going to make room for people. And how do we do that? And so we're going to talk about really how a capital campaign can grow our churches, help them to go to the next level, and continue to make room for the people that God is bringing in because the harvest is great. Can I get an amen from somebody? So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Ron, and uh, just let you tell us what is a capital campaign. Yeah, a capital campaign is something that you embark upon when you need to expand your facilities, when you need to renovate your facilities, or when you're looking to reduce debt and you need to raise capital to free up your resources so you can put them towards ministry or other things, our introductory need was we simply recognized when people drove into our property, they had no idea where to enter the building. I mean, you know, that's a pretty serious problem. There's like all these doors, but we didn't have a clear like entryway. And that we realized we got to fix this because people could end up in the wrong part of the building and it could be scary. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, Pastor Rick, how did uh, the capital campaign work? Because both of these gentlemen have just went through or in the process of being a part of a capital campaign. So how did that work for you in Pittsburgh as far as a capital campaign? First of all, we realized that we had a lot more vision than we did money. Can anybody relate to that? Okay, that was the first realization. The next thing we needed to do was find somebody to partner with. And we interviewed four different uh, uh, organizations because we needed to find the right fit. And then, so that was the second thing we did. And then the third thing, realization we came to is we knew nothing, okay? <laughs> and um, that realization, and what I mean that is that that's why you get help 
and that's why you do it. And then there's a whole process by which you go through to clarify your vision. Then you go through different phases like that. And um, we, we started the process. Actually, it took us over three years from the time we decided to do it to the time we actually did it. It was a real process by which we had to keep honing down and getting better. So that was kind of the process we went through. But the number one was finding the right fit. And that took a while for us. Awesome. Dr. Ron, what about you? Was your experience kind of similar to that? Did you feel like you've seen no. success as a result of it? Ours took three minutes because I actually providentially called Rodney James, who's here. Rodney represents Master Plan Church Design and Construction. He's one of our sponsors. I ended up meeting Rodney and instantly fell in love with his heart and, uh, and instantly got direction on what we needed to do. And it was actually Rodney who introduced us to Chuck Klein, who's also here with Impact Stewardship. So it's kind of nice when, you're when your team is here worshiping with us and getting rocked by the Holy Spirit. But, uh, but that was a very quick thing because I was thinking we needed an awning. And Rodney came and built a, 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 a huge expansion for us or helped us see our needs. So we went from, he helped enlarge my vision, let's put it that way. Because as Pastor Rick, we share the same gifts. We are incompetent. <laughs> and everybody said amen so so it sounds like a lot of what we're talking about here really is is it's not about buildings and raising money it's really about vision it's really about the vision of god that that he's put in your heart and all of our hearts go that, ahead Rick. that's why we we decided we were going to call it the one vision campaign we didn't even use the word capital at all because we're stewards with a vision that's what we're stewards with. And so we, and even like all through the booklets that you all have, it's, it's a vision, vision, vision. And we're going to show at the end of our session, we're going to show a little three-minute promo uh, from Pastor Rick's church, uh, just really how they highlight it, how they communicate that to the church, which is, which is excellent. So, Dr. Ron, let me ask you this. Why in the world do you need to use an outside agency to raise money? And then if we do that, how, how much does it cost? Yeah, our church had never done that before. Okay. In fact, we had always just shared the need with our people. And so I was highly skeptical. Like, we really don't need to do this. We have a high, I, we have a high trust with our people. We didn't want this uh, charlatan kind of group coming in and, you know, wowing our people and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, that, so I was very guarded. When we, again, talking with Rodney, Rodney introduced us to three or four folks. So they all came in. We did, went through the process. They made it very clear and, and it, that don't do it by yourself because they know the data. And uh, there's something nice about people coming in from the outside and being able to cast vision and come alongside you and really add authority to who you are and what you're doing. And so uh, bare minimum, you're looking to raise 1.5 to two times your annual budget over a three-year period. So say you have a million-dollar budget, we're looking at over a three-year period raising $1.5 million on top of tithes and offerings, which you're not going to do if you just try to do this on the side by yourself, is you're not going to come close to that. So we did that the first time, and we kind of hit the, hit the goal, but we did it the second time, and our people blew it out of the water. I mean, exceedingly abundantly above all we could have asked or thought. And we couldn't have done that by ourselves. I could not have done that as a pa local pastor. So this myself. is your second capital campaign that you've done at Livingstone. And, and ours was so successful, I didn't even need to think about who my team was going to be for round two because round one was so highly successful. So you're saying that with a capital campaign, we can raise 1.5 to 2% above our annual budget. And the 1.5 is, is the low, the low okay. mark, all right? In about a, in a three-year span. Yeah. Uh, and how did that affect, as people were making this extra commitment, how did that affect the, the weekly tithes and offerings? Yeah, it didn't affect it at all. In fact, it increased. What happens is when the tidal wave of the, of the giving rose, it receded slightly after the campaign was over, okay. but not much. In fact, everybody got in at some level okay. because we encouraged the one vision like you guys are. So everybody had skin in the game, which means your people who aren't giving anything are now beginning to experience God supernaturally in their, okay. in their giving. So everything went up. It did not go down. All right, so so the, the big question, how much did it cost? Yeah, so here's the deal. First time around, we, we looked to raise about $2 million or $2 million in pledges for a thirty dollars to $35,000 investment. So thirty dollars to $35,000 when you're going to raise $2 million on top of your budget. And this last time around, we pledged $5.4 million, and our team charged the same amount uh, as the first time around. So do the math. 
$30,000 or $35,000 investment for $5.4 million in pledges, that's a no-brainer. All right, Rick, what about you? What, what was the cost on y'all's campaign? And then tell us how did that work for you guys as far as uh, the outcome that you've seen personally and in the church? Yeah, um, we, um, we, we got uh, estimates from different people. It cost twenty, forty, sixty thousand. 60000 We went with the 20000 model, not because it was cheapest, but again, because it clicked and we were getting a lot of value for that. And so there was a little bit more extra expenses from that, um, but we did the same thing. We got um, one5 of uh, over three years, that's, that's what it is, of our regular tithes and offerings. Let me make this very scalable for you because many people are sitting here right now and you're saying, I don't have these huge givers, I don't have, we didn't quadruple in size. Throw that out. I don't care if you have $2,000 a week coming in. If you have $2,000 a week coming in, that's just, that's $100,000 a year that you have. Right now, you're saying that's so insignificant. No, what could you do with $150,000 towards facilities or retiring debt or expanding for kids' ministry or family ministry or something like that? Think of it in those terms, and, and that will help you. All right, so what would be, and I'm going to let both of you answer, so Rick, you can start. What would be uh, the biggest lesson that you feel like you've learned through this process? People want to sacrifice and give for a vision that costs them. They're waiting to give. They're waiting and want to. And um, it united us like never before. Like, you know, it really, really was a rallying agent, united our church. That was our, uh, my two biggest lessons right there. Awesome. And it helped me clarify vision. Okay. Awesome. Dr. Ron? Yeah, I would add the vision piece is huge because that's what leaders do. But secondly, we taught our people to seek the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit what he wanted to, you to believe for. So it's not that you're giving money that you, don't, that you already have. You don't have this money. It does not exist yet. We're wanting you to believe God supernaturally for increase so that what happens is the water level of your congregation rises and people go, wow, God is moving in my life. Uh, we've had, we don't have the deep pockets. They're, they're, those people did not exist. Guess what happened, though? After our first effort, the second wave brought some deep pockets. It's still not deep as I would like. I'm believing for deeper. But That's a true pastor but out it's there. But it's building faith, and, and people are energized when they see the Holy Spirit move. So I would say with Pastor Rick, stop limiting God. Put vision out there, and it doesn't cost much money to have somebody come and draw up some ideas that you could believe God for. You know, that's a small investment to put before your people. It's kind of like calling things that aren't as though they are. So if I'm hearing you guys correctly, the, the, the fact that you challenged your congregation to sacrificially give toward vision over and above the over and above the regular tithe, it united the church, it clarified the vision and people eagerly got on board to be a part of this. And they're excited probably more now than they were prior to the capital campaign. Okay. All right, so let me ask you this question. Both of you, again, uh, when is the best time to launch a capital campaign? What, what season? Where do I need to be at? Yesterday. Um, Yesterday. Yeah. I mean, the best season to start is planning right now. you got to start planning right now to clarify vision, to get your points, to get where you want to get to. And so that's when. you you got to do it before you run into the problem, not wait. Okay. Yeah. And we called our second campaign now. Okay. And there's a reason for that, because it, it takes two years to build these things, right, and go through all that legwork. And, and when God's adding to your congregation, you need it now. Uh, and so I would agree the best time would have been three or four years ago, but we were just finishing up. But, but here's the thing. If you've got life going on in your church, why can't you believe that that life is going to lead to expansion? We no sooner got our first project done, and we instantly had to be ready for the next project. All right, last question. Uh, both of you again. So why would you recommend or encourage a church to move in this direction? And it's a twofold question. And then what would be their first step? Why would you encourage it? And what's the first step? Why it's it, we're, we're stewards of a vision. We're going to give an account to God. We, we got to move forward. I mean, that's as simple as I can. So let me make my last plea here. Let me beg, plead, implore, do everything I can to get you to move in this direction. I'm kicking myself because it, uh, this is probably, I'll do one, I'll probably be able to do one more after this, and I'm only, I, when I should be on my fifth one. Gotcha. 
I waited too long. So I'm begging and pleading, imploring, step out. Now's the time to inquire, ask questions, take us to dinner. Um, <laughs> that includes me, too, by the way, in the dinner. Absolutely. You're in with this. I'm echoing everything that Pastor Rick is saying because he is so brilliant. But I would also add, in addition to the handout that you have, we have two amazing companies here that are part of our team that you can talk to. I mean, you can go right out and just ask questions, and you can already start gleaning. And then there might be other folks you want to talk to as well, but we've got some amazing folks that are part of our team that are here. And what I appreciate is you guys uh, are here because you believe in what NRP is doing. You're investing in NRP, and you're, you're here enjoying uh, at the conference like we all are. So, Can they raise their hands back there, stand up, so we know where they're at? Go stand up, guys, so we can get a good look at you. All right, that back table, come on. I think we're going to hear from one of them in just a minute, I think, or something. All right, well, we're going to do this. Thank you, guys. We're going to do a little short video. This is Pastor Rick's plug of how he casts the vision for what they're doing. And let me just go ahead and throw this. If you want a cool T-shirt, it's a $25 a month pledge for three years, and you can have one. Here's the video. with one vision that we have implemented faithfully. You see, it all started in 1982 with a handful of people meeting every Sunday throughout the East Pittsburgh area. Four years later, 75 people were brave enough. They responded in faith, and they knew that God wanted more for our church. So those 75 people gave $75,000 for our first permanent church home. And since then, we have seen lives transformed like you would not believe. We've seen hurting hearts healed, broken marriages restored, the addicted set free, and hopeless people have found purpose for their life. 14 years ago, we knew that God was calling Bridge City Church to something bigger. So again, we came together as a church, responded in faith, and believed God, and we gave generously to see God expand into other communities. We launched our first campus with 42 people in the Murraysville Community Center, and we have continued to launch campuses throughout Pittsburgh since then. We've spent the last 13 years making a big difference as one church in several locations. Along the way, God has continued to bless our church as we have seen countless lives changed and transformed. All these things are amazing, and the people who have given so much in the past should be honored because we have been so blessed to be a part of all that God has done. One of our core beliefs at Bridge City Church is that we believe that we do not settle. We believe in bold initiatives, and we will continue to take steps of faith and take risks. Our mission is to see as many people as possible. That's right, as many people as possible begin a relationship with God and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We believe that God, once again, is calling his people, our church, to one vision that will transform us, our church, our community, even the world. God has given us one clear vision, not just for our generation, but for generations to come. And this is our one moment, just like those 75 people in 1986, we get to do something that will impact Bridge City Church for decades to come. So it's my prayer that we will join together. And will you stand with me and our leaders to seize our moment and believe that together we have one glorious hope for the future. All right, Pastor Rick will be taking uh, pledges from anybody. <laughs> you would too, I know you would. <laughs> wow, that was great. That's what, you know, that, that's excellence. You know, that's great vision casting. That's compelling. It's attractional. People want to get involved. I really appreciated what they had said. And um, we, our church is actually a month and a half into this process as well. So um, I want to do a shout out to, um, Rodney James, uh, Master, it's the Master's Plan Church Design and Construction. Rodney, why don't you start making your way up here? 
He's going to share just a little bit. They are um, one of the sponsors for our, uh, this conference for the last two years. And so, come on, let's give them a hand for that. We so appreciate that. As well as Chuck Klein with Impact Stewardship. Come on up here, Rodney. I got to meet uh, Rodney last year. He really gets it. And uh, besides that, he's a pilot. And uh, <laughs> very near and dear to my heart, he's a Learjet pilot. So uh, they don't put you in the left seat if you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, Rodney, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you do. Awesome. Fantastic. I think you got a quick video, and then, uh, then I want to share with you. At Master's Plan, we don't just build churches. We partner with the local church to build the kingdom of God by leading you through the entire journey. With decades of combined pastoral, ministry design, and construction experience, we guide your leadership team through the entire process, from vision to your first day in your new facility. Our team will ensure that your project honors the vision God has given you by completing it on vision, on time, and on budget. So whether you're dreaming, planning, budgeting, or getting ready to build, give us a call. We would love the opportunity to become your trusted partner in building the vision God has given you for His kingdom. First of all, I just want to say thank you. It, it, it's an honor for us to have, have the opportunity to sponsor, uh, to be a part of NRP. When we came last year and, uh, and sponsored, uh, I, I told Pastor Keith and Angela, I said, um, I, if, if we can sponsor, great, but if we can't, can we just come back? Because um, being a part of this experience uh, is encouraging, it's uplifting, it's powerful in my life personally. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and very grateful for the opportunity to share with you today. Um, when, you know, when we did the sponsorship, they said, hey, we want to give you some time to share. And, and here's my deal. I, I said, Lord, what, what do I need to share with this group of pastors? I said, um, you know, I could stand up here and talk about what we do for 15 minutes. You don't need to hear what we do. That shows you what we do. We partner with churches like we partnered with Pastor Ron to take them on a journey all the way from how do we raise funds? Where do we borrow funds? What, how do we design this? How do we get vision to cast for our people? People. I, I pastored for 20 years, so I get it. We did three building projects when I was a pastor, so, so I understand the journey. I've taken over 178 pastors on this journey now, building facilities, renovating facilities, casting vision, raising funds. And so I want, I want, what I want to do today is I want to share what I believe is a word from the Lord for just a few minutes. How do we build the biblical way, right? We always talk about how do we build. Well, why do we build? Why do we renovate? Well, most people think it's because we have a need, right? We need to improve our facilities. We need more space. We need better space. We have a new ministry opportunity. We need to build for that. I think those are all great things, but that's not the biblical reason we build. The biblical reason we build is we need to build from vision. You, it, I mean, you guys set the stage for me, Pastor Ron. You guys did an excellent job of setting the stage because when we build from vision, there is something different that happens than when we just say, hey, we need more seats in the sanctuary. We just need more seats. We need more room in our children's space. When we build from vision, there are things that happen. And I want to show you four things that happen when you build from vision, things that I've seen happen over and over again from churches that build from vision. The first thing that you have is there is provision. Pastor Keith said it yesterday. We all know that, right? There's provision when we build from vision, but there's something unique about going in a building project and from the vision that God gives. There are a lot of, there are a lot of pastors who build, but they don't build from vision. When you build from vision, there's provision. And I want to show you three major building projects in the Bible. I've studied these and God's really given me some revelation on this. We've put a process together and I will tell you this for the last 10 years that I've been doing this, we finished every project we've built under budget. And so, so the, the reality is there's a way to do this and do it right. And it's because it comes from scripture. Here's what the Bible says. It says, tell the sons of Israel to take a contribution for me from everyone whose heart moves him. I want you to get that. When you're going about raising funds to build the kingdom of God, to build a facility, you're not asking people for money. You're sharing the vision and God changes their heart. God moves in them to give a contribution to him. He says, take my contribution. It's a gift to the Lord. He goes on and it says in Exodus 35, and everyone whose heart stirred to him, who did that? Pastor didn't do that. 
God does that. Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. He came down and he shared the vision. And everyone whose heart stirred them from the vision gave a gift. That was the provision to build the tabernacle. He goes on to say, and everyone whose spirit moved him came and he brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting, for its service, and for its holy garments. I want you to think about this. No houses, no jobs, no revenue, but there was provision to build the tabernacle in the middle of the wilderness. Understand, friends, when, there, when you build from vision, there is provision for what God wants to do. And that's what these two guys, Rick and Ron, just told us. The second thing is when we look at it, it's supernatural provision. You remember the other building project, that's rebuilding Jerusalem, right? The temple and the walls. Here's what Nehemiah said. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river so that they'll allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which is by the temple, for the walls of the city, for the house which I will go. And the king granted them to me. Why? Because the good hand of my God was upon me supernatural provision, everything that he needed to rebuild the walls, everything they needed to rebuild the temple, God provided. Listen, God wants to do the same thing for you. What you need to do is stop saying, hey, we might need more space. And you need to say, God, I need a vision. Lord, would you give me a vision? You know why it's important for God to give the vision? Because when we build for vision, there is a plan. There's not only provision, but there is a plan. And that plan is a plan that works for ministry. It has to be the right plan. You need somebody who understands ministry to be designing your ministry facility. Somebody who understands what you're going to do in that facility, not just what the facility ought to look like. And so that's, that's the passion that we have. Every building project that God gave a vision for in Scripture, listen to this, he gave the blueprints. Every building project that God gave a vision to build in Scripture, he gave the blueprint. Look what it says here. Have them construct a sanctuary for me, what God said to Moses, so that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, so you shall construct it. Who gave the blueprint? It wasn't the architect. Listen, if you don't have an architect who's walking with God, somebody designing your facility, you're going to get a building blueprint, but it may not be God's blueprint. God already has the blueprint in heaven for your building when he gives you a building, when he gives you a vision to build it. And that's, that's so awesome. Here's the other project. What's the other project? The tabernacle. David, when he hands the plans to Solomon, his son, this is what he said. All this, David said, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand up on me all the details of the pattern. How did he get it? How did David get it? God's hand was upon him. When he was writing down the details, God's hand was upon him. He goes on, this, uh, Nehemiah says, and I got up in the night, a few men with me. I didn't tell anybody what God was putting in my heart to do for Jerusalem. What was God doing? Giving him the plans to rebuild the walls. Giving him the plan. So when you build from vision, you have provision, and you also have a plan. Here's the other thing. You have perfection. I like this word. It had to be a P word, but you know, perfection, you know what that means in scripture? Completion, right? That means completion. And I love it because it's always according to God's plan. When you build from vision, projects should be completed on plan and on budget. If God's given the blueprint and God's given the provision, you ought to be able to build the building and it ought to be done on vision. It ought to be able to done on budget and it ought to be able to be done on time. I think about this. You know, the only building project in Scripture that wasn't completed, the Tower of Babel. Was that God's vision? It was man's vision. Listen, friends, when God gives the vision, he gives the provision, he gives the plan, and he gives the completion of the project, you will see it done. Here's what he said. Here's what Moses said. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it. What? Just as the Lord commanded. According to the plan, they had done it. So Moses blessed them. In Exodus 40, it says, and he erected the courtyard all around the tabernacle and the altar, and he hung up the curtain for the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. The project was completed. Here's the last thing, and this is, the, this is the thing that excites me the most. It ought to excite you because this is NRP. Why do we build? When we build from vision, the last thing is there's a presence. There is a presence. When it's God's vision and God's provided for it and he's given the plan and we complete the project the way that it's supposed to, guess what happens? God moves in. 
God moves in. This is the why we build. Why do we build? We don't build so that we got the best looking building in town. We don't build because we want to be better than everybody else. We build because God gave us a vision to reach more people, to transform lives, to see marriages change, to reach kids, to see students come to know Christ. That's why we build. And we can't do that apart from the presence of God. Too many churches across America are trying to do that apart from the presence of God. And so why do we, we, we do that when we finish it, when we build from vision, guess what? God comes and moves in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory filled the tabernacle. They finished the temple and Solomon had prayed and fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Listen, friends, it is not possible to impact this world without the presence of God. And when you build based on a vision, you get the provision, you get the plan, you get perfection, and ultimately you get the presence of God. Listen, I would love to visit with you if you have a project, and I want to encourage you like these last two guys did. I hear so many of you guys saying, man, I wish we just can't fund it. We don't know how to do it. Listen, stop saying we don't know how, we don't know what. And start saying, God, give me a vision. Because when God gives you the vision, you can get partners like Chuck or myself, and we'll come walk along beside you. We can help you in every facet of this to give you encouragement, to give you, help you with vision, help you with tools to cast that vision, and give you all of the wisdom that you need. We've been doing this for a long time. We love Jesus, and we are kingdom builders. We're not church builders. Our, our deal is we build people, we build buildings, and we build the kingdom. And that's, that's what our passion is. And we're honored to be here today, honored to be a part of the NRP. Thank you for allowing us to be here, Pastor Keith. God bless you. Have a great rest of the, of the day. Oh, bro, you can preach. <laughs> Preaching out of the overflow. Amen. So listen, this was very intentional. You probably figured that out. So I just want to ask you two questions real quick, all right? If somebody drove by your building, would they want to come in? And at what point are you going to get tired of looking at ugly? <laughs> just two questions. Because ugly you left is ugly as going to be there when you go home, unless you do something about it yesterday. Honestly. Here's what I really want to say. Is your building worthy of your ministry? Do you believe in the vision you have? And if so, is it being personified in what you're inviting people to enter at their first temporal experience? This is critical. If you don't believe in your ministry, none of this made sense. If you do believe in your ministry, you probably need to start a follow-up process and say, where do, I be, where do I begin to go? What? God is not playing favorites here. All right? This is not about favoritism. This is about thinking, what is my vision and what do I want it to look like? So this whole time today, what Mike called these lightning sessions, we're all focused on one thing, building a certain aspect. Putting, we offered you a whole bunch of tools this morning. Please grab whatever tools apply to you and do something with it. Amen? Inspiration will move you. Thinking will change you. <laughs> okay? So, God bless you. Thank you, Rodney. He's an invited guest, and they invested, helped underwrite this conference. They love NRP. <laughs> You know, and uh, when we talked on the phone a couple weeks, he was just so excited to get here and, and just check back with some people he's beginning to work with. So these, these are trusted people, and, and I'd encourage you to talk to Ron and Rick. And, and uh, I mean, these are great leaders, these two guys, right? And they needed help. That's all I'll say. Hey, thanks, Pastor Keith. So you're going to be really